You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. This morning, I want to draw our attention to Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. So if you happen to have your Bible with you, uh, you can be turning there, Psalm 42 through Psalm uh, 43. I want to share with you uh, about an individual named Charlie. An individual named Charlie. Um, Charlie had, had some struggles. Uh, he had some, some struggles with his life. Now, Charlie isn't around anymore. Charlie was a great public speaker uh, in the 1800s. But Charlie and his message were hated by many. And while he tried to stand firm without effect, he was noted by saying, down on my knees have I often fallen with the hot sweat rising from my brow under some fresh slander poured out upon me. In agony of grief, my heart has been nearly broken. Charlie felt great anxiety as a public speaker. The awesome responsibility of what he spoke about often crippled his heart. In fact, there was at one point in an attempt to slander Charlie even further during a packed evening at one of his gatherings, a malicious individual cried out, fire! And what ensued was over 10,000 people fleeing the structure, and in its wake there were found seven people dead who had been trampled and several more who had been hospitalized. And this paralyzed Charlie with great anxiety for several days. The grief he felt overwhelmed him. Charlie fought a lifelong incapacitating illness that would keep him from his speaking engagements and would leave poor Charlie lost in depression for days. For Charlie, this would be his lifelong battle. While on mountaintops and the opportunities of public speaking and impacting the lives of thousands, if not now millions, depression and pain were an ever-present reality for Charlie. Of course, this Charlie that I speak of is none other than the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, a man who God has used in tremendous ways while he was here on earth, and even to this day through his sermons and writings. Unknown to him at the time, what would be his final sermon in June 7, 1891, before he died, He has this to say right at the end of his message, and I think this defines what he was about. Despite all the challenges and grief and depression and struggles he had, here was his kind of life statement laid out before us. In Spurgeon's final sermon, he said this, those who have no master are slaves to themselves. Depend upon it, you either serve Satan or Christ. Either self or or the Savior. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard masters. But if you wear Christ, you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest unto your souls. He is the most magnanimous of captains. There never was his like among the choicest of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross lies ever on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, a lavish, or superabundant in love, you always find it in him. These 40 years and more have I served him. Blessed be his name. And I have had nothing but love from him. I would be glad to continue yet another 40 years in the same dear service here below, if so it pleased him. His service is life, peace, joy. Oh, that you would enter on it at once. God help you to enlist under the banner of Jesus even this day. Amen. How does Spurgeon and others, as we're even going to see in this psalm, 
Hope in God despite the drought and dry seasons that life can often bring. It can be a very cliche thing we say. We say, hey, just trust God. He'll be your joy. He'll be your strength. He'll be your hope. And we say those things, but do we mean it? Do we understand the kind of hope and joy that can be found in God? We're gonna read through Psalm 42 and 43, and I I want you to place yourself in these psalms. Uh, These two psalms were probably uh, more linked together than we have them now, and so I'm gonna read both 42 and 43, but I want you to, as as I read through them, I want you to think about your life, your fears, your anxieties, your worries, your loss, whatever it is, I want you to put yourself in the midst of this psalm. And think, okay, what is the psalmist saying here? Where, where's his hope at? Because it's kind of a dark psalm. Starting in Psalm 42. As a deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God and for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Because my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God and with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. But why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God, Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God, why are you cast down on my soul and why are you you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. What we see from Spurgeon, what we see from the psalmist, they had found this thing to be true, that by rightly communicating to yourself and turning your focus to the promises found in the fullness of Christ, that by God's grace and mercy, your thirst and hunger for God can increase through the gospel and glory of Christ, who is the image of God. To be able to communicate rightly with yourself in order to view the world around you in the way God wants us to view the world and our circumstances, the ups and downs of life. In our society, though, we face a bit of a problem we tend to be very individualistic. We like to isolate ourselves. We like to create this little safe bubble for ourselves. We see this through our social media, through how we update Facebook or Instagram, right? I can create the world I want you to see. I want you, I can just look at my profile. It kind of says, hey, here's, here's who I am. The pictures I I put on and the filters I I place, it it gives you a persona of what I want you to think I'm like, but it's not necessarily the real me. Not often do we post those moments as parents of our children's absolutely freaking out and breaking down on the floor. 
right? Or like taking them to the grocery store and you're like filming, dragging them out because of something they couldn't have, right? Now what do we do with the, the hair's all right, the, the outfit's perfect, right? We, we get everything just right, why? Because we want those moments to last of, okay, this, this, is, this is who I am, this is what life is really like for me. But it, it's not. I think we've seen through, especially through this last year and a half or so, that loneliness has run rampant in our communities. The idea of genuine community has often been lost. It's unfortunate that we have to go to our television screens to get PSA announcements to let us know that we should be looking out for our neighbors. We tend to put things in little compartments right, that I, I work over here in, in this world, that, that I, I play in this environment, and, and, and I, I do church and God here in this way, and never shall any of those areas ever meet or overlap. And the problem with this is it leads to many difficulties. It's a problem biblically on many fronts, but it's an especially difficult thing with what we see from Psalm 42 through 43. See, there's many ways that we can grow in godliness. If you've been around the church for some time, you've come to know some of these things as spiritual disciplines, right? I I spend time in God's word, I spend time in prayer, I spend time in service, I spend time in worship, right? And these things are good, they're wonderful, they're they're good aspects of helping us grow to, to attack sin and to become active followers of Jesus Christ. But what happens when the joy of being in God's word is lost, or the connectedness of worshiping as a church has lost its flavor, you begin to realize it's not as perfect as maybe you once thought it would be, or your entire relational experience with God has left you feeling lost. Now, there's no doubt that if you were reading through the Psalms and you got to Psalm 42 and 43, that you would think, oh man, that was just a wonderful blessing to read through those. They're depressing, right? At least on their face, they seem very depressing. The psalmist does, though, share the hope he has in God, but there's this struggle there the whole time. There's this idea of lost relational experience with people and with his community and with his God. There's difficulties there, there's challenges there. There's definitely a conflict that is occurring within his heart. And it starts right from the very beginning with this metaphor that he provides for us, this panting deer in verse 1 on Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams. So you have this panting deer that's come to find an empty, dried-up stream. The natural thing about deers, their instinct is if they're thirsty, they go to the water source to find a drink. But this particular deer, its instinct is leading them to stream after stream, to brook after brook, and there's absolutely nothing there to quench its thirst. It's desperate. And the psalmist's soul, as he then continues, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So the psalmist is is stating here through this metaphor that he thirsts for God. He desires God, but there's something lacking within that. What, What the psalmist is not saying here is that there's some sort of lack in belief in God, right? The knowledge is there. The understanding of who God is and what he offers is there. He's just not finding it. He's not finding that relief. All he's finding is struggle after struggle empty well after empty well, there's a lost sense of the presence of God. He knows it's there somewhere, but he's just, he's coming up empty in this moment. Now, this isn't necessarily something unique to these couple of Psalms. The idea of this struggle and, and this idea of feeling like God is a million miles away isn't something new to the Psalms. We can read plenty of Psalms that indicate feeling like God is far away, that there's some sort of barrier between me and God and in our relationship. But many of these other Psalms tie dryness to sin, 
or to the guilt of sin. But that, that's not present here at, at all. Now, for, for us as good, uh, you know, conquering, task-oriented Americans, we, we almost instinctively look for something that we have done wrong, right? When we're facing a challenge, we go, okay, uh, I'm, I must be doing something wrong. I must be thinking something wrong. I must be not doing enough, or someone must have caused me to be this way, right? We, we look for the reason why so that we can fix the problem and we can move on. But in these two psalms, there is no confession to hear. There's no lamenting over some sort of previous sin struggle. So what do we take away from that? The reality is we can live our lives as close to God as we possibly can, and yet this can happen to each of us. That we enter a season of drought, of dryness, of that feeling that God is a million miles away and doesn't care about the moment I'm in right now. It can happen with or without sin or the guilt of sin. And for those who are are new or young in their faith in Christ, this is the thing that can rock you to the very core, right? You, You set out on this journey with Christ, you trust Christ, and then the bottom drops out of life. In some ways, it becomes more difficult to believe all the things you've heard about God. That it doesn't seem like life is just going well. Like, why did I put my faith in Christ if life is just kind of the same? For longtime believers, when dryness occurs, we desperately search for what we did wrong so we can do the right things to pull ourselves out of whatever funk we're in. Spiritual depression will come. Feeling the way the psalmist feels here happens to each of us. But again, what we're seeing from the psalmist here, these aren't intellectual doubts. He's not questioning the existence of God, but it can lead to these kinds of doubts. I think of an illustration that maybe helps us understand this a little bit. I think of uh, playing baseball as, as a kid. I was horrible at baseball, okay? Uh, But I can remember as a kid, I did all the stereotypical things a kid would do, what my children now do on the baseball field, right? They're standing out in the outfield, looking through their glove, you know, at things, you know, looking at the sun, burning their eyes off, (laughs) picking up grass, you know, saving some for later so you can throw them at your friends, right? But I can remember standing out in the field as an outfielder and all of a sudden, the guy hits the ball. And I'm like, oh no. Like, where do I go? What do I do? It's probably a home run. We probably lost the game. Like all these things are going through my mind. What I'm not doing in that moment is positioning myself to make a play on the ball. I'm freaking out about what could happen rather than putting myself in a position to make a play on the ball. This has been a big week for football. And so you have to have a football illustration when it's the first weekend of NFL uh, starting. So let's bring that in here. A football player realizing, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, fourth and long and you, the punter goes up and then all of a sudden you're like, oh no, it's a fake. And the defender is more concerned about like, oh no, what's happening there? Rather than placing himself in a position to make a play on the ball. So here's the reality that the psalmist is, is, is exploring with us. The droughts of life will happen, but we must be ready to make a play in the right direction so that we don't become consumed with the perceived calamity by us doing nothing. Us doing nothing can never be the plan. Because if left untreated, a season of drought can lead to a season of doubt which can lead to abandonment altogether. Now, many of our spiritual disciplines, when we look at them, they're, they're kind of offensive things, right? They help us grow in our relationship with God. They help us uh, attack sin, acknowledge sin. They're active pursuits of God. But the psalmist is defending his heart with the conflict he's facing. So with the conflict in mind, that psalmist is describing here are reasons that we can look and see 
What possibly allowed us to get into this position? As we look at this psalm, what allowed him to get into this particular season? Were there forces at play that led him to this moment of drought? Again, we've acknowledged that the issue was not a sinful one, so we're not gonna see that here. The season of spiritual dryness or depression can often help us look at where our life emphasis has been or see where our vision towards God has maybe shifted over time. So let's look at some of these reasons that we see here. Now, these reasons are not necessarily anecdotal, right? It does not mean that if you have the following that you are in a dry season or that you're about to be. They're merely observations of our humanity and the observations made by the psalmist. I'll be sharing a little bit of uh, a quote from um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a, a doctor before he became a preacher, and he often made emphasis on, you need to understand yourself in order to know how, 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 what your tendencies are. What, what are the things you're gonna have to battle that are unique to you and unlike what someone else is gonna have to go through? And so knowing the type of person we are is important to know. Now some of you are really, really good at that. You have taken every single test. You will know what number, you know what letter you are, right? Your first thing when you get to know somebody, you're like, hello, my name is, and what's your name? Great, what number are you? Right, because in your mind you're like, I need to know how I need to approach this person. Okay? Other, others of us have not taken a test, okay? We, we're not sure where we lie. Okay, so our minds are a little more simple and we go, okay, are we introvert or extrovert, right? What are my tendencies? It's important for us to know this because it's the reality of our our makeup, right? This isn't an issue of salvation. The beautiful part of the gospel is that that the, the repentance and turning in faith to the payment of Christ at the cross is available to all, no matter what your number, no matter if you're an introvert or extrovert, but it's helpful to know our tendencies based up on our makeup. Yesterday proved that I was not built to be a cross-country player. <laughs> Runner, right? No, instead, I was fat, so I became a football player, right? Our tendencies help us understand our emotional and spiritual makeup. Right? It helps us understand ourselves a little bit better, face the reality of life a little bit better. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we know ourselves? Are we honest about our tendencies? Do we know our strengths and our weaknesses? This is helpful when looking at the things we are most tempted by, but it also is helpful when looking at our spiritual and emotional makeup as well. So we need to understand and know ourselves. The psalmist seemed to understand his heart, understand where he was at. One of the things, though, that we see expressed by the psalmist in verse four, right, he talks about this thing here. He goes, these things I'm remembering, I'm looking back as I pour out my soul, how I'd go to the throng, I'd lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. There's this disruption that we see in Psalm 4 and in, in, in verse 6, this disruption of, of community. The, the psalmist made a move at some point, that, and there's this remembrance of a longing to be part of a multitude that is praising God together. That this has been something in his past, it's not currently occurring, but this idea of going to the temple to be part of the worship, to be part of the feasts, And now that's not happening. That aspect of community isn't occurring. Maybe some of you got a little sense of that as we walked through the beginning stages of COVID-19. And not realizing it at the beginning, but as we went along, this sense of, I miss the community. I I miss the gathering together. The reality is, is that there is an individualistic aspect to our faith, but also a corporate aspect as well. A few weeks ago, we talked about the importance of the church, the body gathering together. 
both the individualistic aspect and the corporate aspect, they're not independent of one another because we need them both. The psalmist is longing for these festivals. They, they, they would have a variety of feasts and festivals that, would, uh, uh, that were part of the community of God's people that they would celebrate together. And, and each of these things were an opportunity, a time of corporate remembering. Think of like the, the Passover, right? A time of remembering the rescuing of God's people out of Egypt. This was meant to rally the community around an event that they would collectively bring up the goodness of God and recommit to him as a group. In a similar fashion, right, we take part in communion, reflecting on the Lord's table to reflect and remember what Christ has done for us. And then as, co- as a collective community of God's people, recommit our hearts to him. But this is no longer an aspect of his life experience. The community aspect has been lost and he longs for it. These times of remembrance as a community encourages refocusing as we tend to drift. As Americans, our society at large, we tend to put the importance of our faith as an individualistic side but we cannot minimize the role of the corporate body, of the coming together, of the celebrating together. We need both the individual commitment and the corporate encouragement of worship. Our tendency may be, you know what, I can be a good spiritual person all by myself. In fact, recent statistics say that 80 to 90% of people believe this. That's a lot of us in this room. I can be a a good spiritual person all by myself, but this is not true. How do you know you are right all by yourself? How can you stay vibrant in your faith all by yourself? We need one another. We need the church. We must be actively building the community. We need the large gatherings as we come together to encourage one another to remember why we are here, why we have chosen to do life this way, to remind ourselves of the goodness of God and the goodness of relationship with others within God's community. We also need small groups. We need people that we're close to who know us, who who know the, the little details of our life, who can come alongside and encourage and equip and help us. We need those personal relationships, the people that know us at the deepest level that know our struggles, that know where we need that help. You can't get any of that if you're all by yourself, if you don't have the community. And the psalmist is saying, I've lost this aspect of my life. And it's part of his season of drought. And then there's life experiences, right? The highs and the lows that we all face. The psalmist is being attacked and also questioning his own heart. You see him state a couple of times in 42, uh, 3 and uh, verse 10, where he says that he's being challenged by others who are saying, where's your God? Right, others who are coming around him and like, look at your life, look at the mess it is, and you claim to be this follower of this God. How good is this God given what your life is like right now? Where's your God? That's a natural question, right? The psalmist then is asking himself that question, 42.9 and 43.2. Why have you forgotten me, God? Why have you rejected me, God? The life experiences he's gone through have led him to others observing the calamity in his life and for them to question his God, which have then become internalized within the psalmist who is now saying, Lord, where are you? Because it feels like you've forgotten about me. These types of questions from the outside and from within are questions that we often wrestle with when we are in a season of drought. Why is this happening to me if God is so good? If God is for me, why is this happening to me? Think of Job and his friends. They wrestled with this, right? And their thought was, if something is going wrong, then I assume I did something wrong or God is mad at me and he's punishing me. And the psalmist is expressing, my life experiences are leading me to just say, where's God? 
And then there's physical deprivation. There, there's some things we, we miss, I think, in this psalm. I know I, I tend to read through it, and I, I've missed this time and time again, but there's a little phrase in Psalm 42, verse three, right at the beginning. My tears have been my food day and night. Tears have been my food day and night. What do we learn from this? Well, there seems to be this lack of appetite there's no desire to, to eat. Day and night, this has been his experience with tears. There is such deep depression in this moment that he's not eating, that he's not sleeping. This is not just some temporary struggle. This is something that is deep-seated, rooted within his heart. Some of the top signals and signs of depression in someone's life is not eating and not sleeping. When we look at this, I think it's important for us to understand that yes, there, you know, there are a wide variety of viewpoints on how we should deal with, with our struggles and depression how we handle even our spiritual depression, this questioning of where we're at in life. There's a variety of things we hear from our culture at large. There's a variety of things we hear internally. Some may think that the answer is medication, right? Just take this pill and everything, it's gonna fix everything that you're facing. Some think that the sole issue is moral, right? Find the wrong thinking, find the sin, confess it, trust God, just, just stop feeling that way. Buck up, pull yourself together. Job's friends, in a nutshell. Just stop it. Some think that it is purely psychological or emotional. They take the individual and say, okay, listen, we're gonna, we're gonna listen to you, we're gonna accept you, we're gonna, and we're gonna listen to you, and we're gonna support you, and we're gonna, and we're gonna listen to you, right? Scripture gives us a much broader understanding of this. And one we don't have all the time to be able to explore fully, but the Bible indicates that all three of these approaches have their place. We are emotional beings. We were created this way. Right? We need others in our lives. We, we respond differently given whatever circumstance we're facing. But we're also physical beings, right? We need rest. We need food. Sometimes we may even need medicine. But we're also spiritual. We need truth. We need God and his work in our lives. All of these things are involved because of who our creator made us to be. That there's limitations to being human. And that's okay. He didn't leave us alone in that though. This is why we see the psalmist battle against his own heart and thoughts. The psalmist lays out before us this, the physical responses he is having. My tears have been my food day and night. I lack food and the desire for food because the torment I'm under is overwhelming and I can't sleep. If we ignore physical aspects, we will not be able to fully deal with the spiritual aspects that are going on as well. So we see the, the, the conflict, we see some of the reasons why this individual has found himself in this season of drought, but what are the solutions? What, what is he doing about it? Because there is are glimpses of hope throughout these two psalms here. The psalmist indicates his fond thoughts of being with the community of God's people. Right? Remember, he's looking back, I remember being involved in worship and, and prayer. In 42.4, he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Even when we are emotionally and spiritually depressed, we must not isolate ourselves. He's remembering, this is what it's like to be part of the community. This was a good thing. I want that. I need that. Sometimes the lie that we can believe is that if I am in a season of drought, that what I need to do is tuck myself away and just deal with it. And once I'm better, I'll, I'll come back. 
But the thing we need the most is to not isolate ourselves. We, we need to be part of a community that worships, that prays, that encourages one another. Being among the body helps speak truth into our hearts and to our minds. We need others to do what we are unable to do for ourselves in the moment, and that's where the community comes into play. We do not ignore the spiritual disciplines, right, in a season of depression and hurt. We we should, should not ignore his word. We shouldn't ignore prayer. We should talk to God about our disconnect in worship. Talk to God about the disconnect we're having in our moment of drought in prayer. Talk to God about our disconnect that we may be having in this season of drought with even getting into his word and making sense of it. We see psalm after psalm after psalm that expresses this kind of thing. This is no different here in 42 and 43. The psalmist is looking at this and saying, I'm struggling. I have a lot of questions. I'm hurting. So the psalmist is knowing he needs his community. But the psalmist also is looking at his hopes, right? He's, what are, what are the good things I see? He says several different times, which kind of moves the psalm along. He says, why are you cast down, my soul? What, do you, what, do you, what are you doing? And he responds to that question by saying, hope in God. He's looking for why his soul is in the state that it is in. And so he begins then to examine his heart. Okay, where are my priorities? Where is my mind at right now? And he examines his heart. The dry season is a perfect time to examine our hearts because it drives false loves away and brings in the true hopes that we need to be clinging to. David, who obviously authored many of the psalms that we see in front of us, we see him write a very different kind of psalm in Psalm 3, though. We won't take the time this morning to read it, but we find David in a position where he's running from his favorite son, Absalom, who has led this coup to take over his father's throne. Now, up until this point, David's source of glory, of significance up to this point in his life where he found ultimate value and ultimate worth, where he found often some of his identity, was he found it in his son and family. He found it in the love of his people and his kingdom. But now, as he comes to pen Psalm 3, family and kingdom are falling apart. And there's this shift in David's focus. And the key verse is in verse three of that psalm where he says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. In a season of drought, in a season of great discouragement, David relocated his glory, his hope, his significance, his purpose on on that which he knows will bring lasting satisfaction. That is to hope in God. Why are you cast down my soul? Where have I placed my hope? Has it been on the circumstances of life? The events of life that have just caused me to be this kind of up and down individual? Has it been based on the people around me, whether or not they make me feel good or bad in the moment? Is it, has it been placed on my church? Has it been just about me? Is I, have, I, have I placed my hope in just myself? And The psalmist remembers the grace of God. He says, why are you cast down? Okay, where are your priorities? Where's your heart at right now? And he says, I remember, right? I'm looking back, what, where have I seen God at work? He remembers a God of love. His song is with me, verse 42, eight, his song is with me. He's the God of my life. As he's remembering these, the grace of God in his life. 
43.4, he says, well, God, he's, he's my exceeding joy. And this is the key thing that I want us to see from this psalmist. Is outside of all the, the heartache he is facing, how does he speak to himself? He preaches to his heart. Knowing the truth of God and his created purpose and love for us, this is the key thing that we can preach to ourselves. Because our spiritual disciplines are good, but they must prepare our hearts for a season of drought so that we can preach truth to ourselves so that we can remember, so that we can say, no, my God is good. He is, he is a God of love. He's the God of my life. He's God who is my exceeding joy. The psalmist reflects on what his heart is saying in 42.5. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And he says it again, verse 11 and 43.5. Why are you cast down? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist reflects on what his heart is saying but he does not allow his doubts and questions to inform himself to the fullest extent. Instead, he preaches truth to himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I mentioned just briefly, he had some great insight on this particular psalm and this idea of preaching to yourself, knowing truth and preaching that truth to yourself, especially in a season of drought. And here's what he says. He says, I suggest that the main trouble in the whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. He says, am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you woke up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they started talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, the issues of tomorrow. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now the psalmist's treatment of this, instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down on my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I will praise him for the help of his countenance who is also the health of my countenance and my God. We may think that God has abandoned us. The psalmist was. And if we only listen to ourself rather than speaking truth into the self, we will abandon the source of truth. The psalmist preached to himself because he knew where the true source of self came from. It came from his God. It came from our God, the creator, our father. So where do you find yourself with the psalmist? Are you, are you like that the deer at the beginning who's desperate for relief that is 
thirsting for God, and yet you've found that the, the resources seemingly dried up? Does your heart cry to lean in and trust the promises and truth of God and his word above and over any of the circumstances we may face currently, whether it be good or bad? But I want us to remember something that the psalmist here is unable to express. There's a resource that this psalmist does not have. He may be looking toward, but unable to experience it the way we can now experience it. So as we think about preaching to ourselves, speaking to ourselves, speaking truth to our hearts, let me tell you a way to preach the gospel to your heart in a way the psalmist did not have. I may think God has given up on me, that I'm a failure, that he's abandoned me, that I've done something wrong. But the psalmist here says no. He says, I will yet praise him. He's a God of love. He's a gracious God. He's not gonna abandon me, but how do I know? Here's how you and I can know. And I encourage you, take some time and read Psalm 42 through 43 on your own. But when you do, read Psalm 42 and 43 and listen to the one who really said, I thirst. I'm dying of thirst. Read Psalm 42 and 43 and listen to the one who really said, my God, my God, why have you forgotten? Why have you forsaken me? Read Psalm 42 through 43 and listen to the one who really said, whose enemies were taunting him and saying, where is your God? Let's see if God will come and save him. Of course, these being the words of Jesus as he was on the cross. See, Jesus didn't just lose the experience of God, he lost God, even though he trusted in God. He was really forsaken by God. He really experienced the thirst of God. But why? So that despite your failures and my failures and inadequacies, to know that God will never give up on me. God treated Jesus and punished him and gave him the things we deserve so we can receive his commitment and his love unconditionally. Our ultimate rescue is not only found looking inward or to others or to our circumstances. It is in the ultimate hope that one day sin will not rule because Christ has made a way of rescue to restore everything back to his intended purposes without sin, without evil, without depression, and without pain. And so if you preach Christ to yourself, you can get out of the rut. And what's amazing is that when you do get out of it, you will be much further along in your experience with God. You'll experience God much deeper than you did before. More humble, happier, and stronger than you were before. And so see Jesus in these Psalms. Find your hope in preaching the gospel to your heart and find yourself on the other side of the drought, humbler, happier and stronger than you ever were before. I close with a few lines from him that I think reminds us of these truths very well. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Why? because all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Lord, we desperately need you, whether we acknowledge it in this moment or not. And wherever you have found us this morning, whether we're on that mountaintop experience of just life is going well and it's good, or whether you found us in a season of drought and life is hurting, would we find our ultimate trust to not be on ourselves, but to be totally on you, 
Lord, we are not naturally inclined that way. So would you help us to trust you above everything else, to preach to ourselves the truth that we see from God's word, that we would not be blinded to the realities of life, that we would not think our ultimate hope and joy comes from the things that we experience in this world, that we would not think falsely that you have abandoned us and left us alone and don't care, but that by preaching to our hearts, we would know to trust you and prioritize you above everything else. That we would see your ultimate plan of rescue, that one day there will be a day where no longer sin and death and depression, no longer will they reign, but only you and your goodness. Would we trust in that? Would we preach that to our own hearts daily? We trust you with that. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our emotions. And we trust on how you'll use this psalm, psalmist in, in a dark time, how it can encourage our hearts to trust you above everything else. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.